3: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, it's Luke Burbank. Welcome to LiveWire. This week, we're getting the lowdown on storytelling— from Snap Judgment's Glenn Washington.
0: I don't want anybody to see the real me, that guy who's not as good as I want him to be, who's not as brave, not as nice, not as kind. But the moment I lean into that reality, those are the stories oftentimes that have impact. Plus, we'll get
1: the lowdown on war reporting from NPR's Kelly McEvers. And people are always like, aren't you worried? And I'm like, no, that's the problem. And then we'll head
3: down low with a guy who works in the sewer system under the city of Portland.
4: If things are working right, it's kind of like a really clean uh, porta a potty thing. And that's the best-case scenario. Plus, we've got some
3: amazing music from an amazing guy, Bilal. That is the plan for this hour. It's going to be sweet and low down. And we're going to get to it right now as we head over to the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. We have a great show for you this week. Our theme is the lowdown, and we have some guests who are experts at finding out what the lowdown is and transmitting that out to the wider public. Uh, One of those guests is Kelly McEvers, who's one of the hosts of All Things Considered. When I listen to Kelly uh, hosting that show, my thought is thank God shows like Livewire also need a host. Because I do not have the chops to do, like, real news stuff like that. I don't know if it's I don't have the gravitas or the attention span or the math skills (laughs) or whatever it is. I did one newscast in my life. It was in 1995. It was a debacle. I was the unpaid intern at a sports radio station in Seattle. I worked on the morning show, which was called Mikey and Vinny in the Morning, It was sort of a tough work environment, actually, because, for one thing, it was all dudes. There were no women that worked at this place. And if we learned anything from the documentary Lord of the Flies, um, all male work environments rarely end well for nerds or people with glasses. I was both at this time in my life. Um, My direct supervisor, of course, was a guy named Jeff. Jeff. No offense. No offense to any Jeffs listening. But you have to admit that in the 80s and 90s, Jeff was the official name of all bullies and guys your mom dated after she divorced your dad. (laughs) Every single one of those people was named Jeff. And Jeff and I worked, we sat back to back in this like horseshoe shaped work area called the sports pit. And when Jeff needed my attention for something, instead of just saying, "Uh, hey Luke, I need your help with something, he would pick up off of his desk a miniature NCAA Final Four commemorative basketball and throw it at the back of my head. (laughs) But the reason that I stuck it out was because the tradition was, on the last day of your internship, you got to do a news update on the show, like a little sports report, and so, Um, I was really excited about that. It was my first time to do something like that. So I stuck it out. Finally, the day comes, the end of my internship. It's time for me to go do uh, my news update. I knew it was time because I felt the gentle caress of a basketball against the back of my head. (laughs) I go in there. I sit down. They start playing the sports update music. And... I become totally overwhelmed. Like, I'm shaking, my hands are sweating, I'm trying to look at the script but it's sort of blurry. I start talking and I realize that my brain and my mouth have decided that even though they love each other very much, they're going to live separately now and pursue their own dreams independent of each other. They told me it was not about me. So that was some kind of comfort. So I, I'm just saying words. I don't know what the words are. The first story is about a guy who played for the Seattle Seahawks who had been really seriously injured in a car accident. He had actually been paralyzed. And when I got to reading that part, instead of saying, the accident that injured this guy, I said, the accident that killed this guy. (laughs) I was like four seconds into the newscast and I had already declared somebody dead who was not dead. (laughs) And it was kind of funny because Jeff just like walked into the studio like he had a look on his face like this is how he assumed it was going to (laughs) go. He just kind of casually walked over to me, just picked me up by the collar out of the seat and just marched me out of the studio. The music is still playing. They, you know, play like a Les Schwab commercial or something. And that was it. That was my first and pretty much last news update. But that's fine. I'm glad that there are the Kelly McEvers of the world to handle all that important newsy stuff and I'll handle all the live wire stuff. Sounds like a good plan, right? Okay. Speaking of, let's get your first guest out here. Our first guest has been getting the lowdown and passing it on to the general public her entire career, from her early days at the Chicago Tribune to her current gig, co-hosting NPR's All Things Considered, and hosting the Embedded podcast. Kelly McEvers has never shied away from getting the story, even being detained by Russian security forces at one point, which thankfully means this will only be the second most awkward interview she's been dragged into. Please welcome Kelly McEvers to LiveWire. Wire. <laughs> Kelly McEvers, welcome to LiveWire. I always love hearing you on All Things Considered. I've been totally obsessed with the Embedded podcast, too, which is just amazing journalism. When did you first get the idea that you wanted to try to go into journalism?
1: Um, I was in college. I was at uh, the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And uh, this friend of mine was like oh, I'm going to see, this will tell you how old I am, I'm going to see Hillary Clinton speak on campus. And I was like, how do you... That could have been two years ago, by the way. Right, I know, exactly. But she was the first lady at the time, and she was like, so... um, But I've got got these VIP tickets, we're going to interview her afterwards. I'm like, how do you get to do that? And she's like, I work for the school paper. And I was like, what's that? And she was like, anybody can go in. And I was like, okay, I'll try it. And you could go in for a tryout, and if you sucked, they would kick you out the door. And if you were okay at it, they would actually give you a job and pay you which was really important to me because I had no money and I had to pay for everything. So they like gave me some rando assignment. There was like a press release that said like the number of section 8 housing units in the town was going down and the city council was going to vote on it whatever really compelling story. And so I immediately like went out and like totally overreported it. I like spent a night in a homeless shelter because you should. And this is sort of a problem that's recurs throughout my life um going to places I shouldn't be um and like spent three days on it and wrote the worst story of all time and they put it on the front page and I was like yeah that's what I'm going to do with the rest of my life done like that was it that was all because I was like wait you get to go into the world find out stuff in weird places that aren't like your own place and you get to tell everybody about it and they'll give you money for that like I was like I'm in sign me up
3: what about the, the the pull of doing a war journalism? Because, I mean, you have reported from some pretty scary places and pretty scary situations.
1: Yeah, I never set out to do, like, bang-bang combat. I think that's kind of a dude thing, generally. But I think that I was also, like a lot of people after 9-11, pretty drawn to the Middle East. You know, I think there was a sense of, like... At 9, after 9-11, like, who are we, who are these people, what does this all mean? And But I also knew that I couldn't, I was like a freelancer, and I was kind of not very good at my job yet right after 9-11, so I also knew that I couldn't just, like, pitch up in Baghdad and be like, hey, everybody, take my stories. Um, so I sort of slowly wended my way to the Middle East, and the thing about the Middle East is, like, once you go to the Middle East, like, at some point you're going to be involved in combat. But I never thought about myself as a war journalist. I did it, but I didn't like doing the battlefield stuff as much as I did like talk to people. You know? See,
3: I, I worked at NPR at this time uh, that you're talking about, and there was a point where they were, you know, b- people were cycling through yep. the Baghdad Bureau, oh, yeah. and I, I was a producer, and I could have bucked for that yep. job, and I was really <laughs> afraid. I was like, I mean, you bad know, stuff bad stuff was there. happening there to journalists all the time. I mean, it honestly was a thing that I was afraid to do. You didn't have any of that kind of fear?
1: Yeah, I, got, I spent 10 years as a freelance journalist. Which is again. more terrifying
3: than any war. Totally. Just trying to get people to I pay mean, you.
1: Just because you got to eat, and yeah. so you have to do a story to eat. Um, and the first job that NPR offered me was... Baghdad. And uh, I had to take it because it was like, I really wanted to be a foreign correspondent. And to be a foreign correspondent, you had to go to Baghdad. It was 2010 also. So it was a different Baghdad. It wasn't the same Baghdad as 2004, 5, 6, 7. It was not as dangerous in 2010 when I went. But I also, I think there's probably like something missing because I go to bad places. Like it's just a thing. And people are always like, aren't you worried? And I'm like, no, that's the problem. Like, I, I don't actually, actually you worry know, about it. That's-
3: you made this really incredible documentary about a year of covering the war. And I actually, you say something about that in the documentary I want to talk about in a moment with you. First, we got to take a short break. We have Kelly McEvers here from All Things Considered and also uh, the Embedded Podcast. This is Livewire Radio from PRI. Back in a moment. Livewire gets support from fully. You hear me talking about Fully all the time on the podcast and the radio show, and that is because, well, Fully is an amazing thing happening in Portland, Oregon. They make desks, chairs, and other stuff that keeps your body moving. In fact, right now as I record this, I am sitting on a TikTok stool from Fully. And uh, what this thing allows me to do is move around, um, stay in motion as I'm recording this show and doing other stuff. You know, I used to have a regular office chair in here, like as of a month ago. And I'd sit in that thing all day, and I tell you, by the end of the day, I'd start to be kind of slumped over. I'd be shrunken down. My creativity would have reached an absolute zero. But with this TikTok stool, I stay in motion. I swear the creative juices, they keep flowing. It's really changed my life here as I do my job. And if you would like to have a similar experience, check out all of the stuff that Fully makes, that keeps you in motion, whether you're at home or at work. Their Jarvis Standing Desk has been reviewed as the best on the market, but of course, standing desks aren't only about standing, so they've also got a whole line of chairs that promote a healthier way to sit. Visit fully.com slash LiveWire to find out more. Welcome back to LiveWire Radio from PRI. We've got Kelly McEvers here, who you can hear on All Things Considered and also uh, the Embedded podcast. Um, Before we took a break, we were talking about your your time covering wars and how when you would survive or, or come out somewhat unscathed in these dangerous situations, it was like a bad thing for you because it reinforced this thing in your mind that you were always going to be okay. Right.
1: It's like if anybody who has kids understand this, right? Like negative reinforcement versus positive reinforcement, right? You would go into – I'd go into Syria or I'd go into – Yemen or i go into some place where there was like a lot of you know it was that was pretty sketchy and pretty dangerous and you come out and like people give you awards they give you raises they're like good job great story you know and so you're like I guess I gotta keep doing that like I mean it's positive reinforcement for bad behavior. I mean, it's this very Or at least weird... dangerous behavior. Yeah, I mean, so I, that wasn't the whole reason I did it. I didn't do it to get raises and awards and stuff, but it is part of the calculus, right? You've got all these other colleagues who are like, wow, good job, you got the story that nobody else could get because you went down that road that nobody else would go down because it was a really dangerous road and all the people were telling us not to go down the road, but you went down the road. You know, so, like, there's there's some of that in there. I mean, part of it was just, like, I just loved my job so much. And I felt so strongly about you know, trying to make sense of the Arab Spring and what the Arab Spring had become. Um, and I felt so strongly about reporting on Syria because when I was doing it, we could still go into Syria and we could actually talk to people. This is before journalists, you know, started getting uh, kidnapped and, and worse. You know, so we had the opportunity to do it. I felt like it was a really important thing to do. Um, it didn't change many minds. It didn't change much policy, and that was hard That was hard to do, but... Um, It felt like really important work too, but also there are these other factors, right? There's other like reinforcements around you telling you that that's good work, good job.
3: Well, one of the things you also talk about uh, in the the documentary that you did for Transom is the fact that you're talking to a therapist basically about how you mentioned to the therapist that you have a kid and the therapist literally doesn't know what to say next. I mean, was that a common reaction when people found out that you're, and, and by the way, Is that just part of the larger double standard that we constantly apply to women?
1: Thank you for bringing it up because I was going to. You know, it's the first question I always get asked when I do like a a panel about war journalism or the work that I've done. It's like, how could you do this when you have a child? And I'm like, I am happy to answer your question, but I know that it is not the first question nor the 10th question that you will ask my male colleagues. It isn't. Right. It just isn't. You know, people will always ask a woman that, like, how could you abandon your child like that? And look, it's a de- it's a thing. Everybody who does this, most people who do war correspondency and people who are soldiers and people who are firemen have children, and it's a thing you have to think about. But, yeah, it was amazing when even the therapist, who was, whose job it was supposed to be to comfort me, had that same reaction. I think one of the reasons that editors like to hire young reporters to do this kind of work is because they're people who don't have children and who don't have these concerns, who aren't married, you know, who can go into a battlefield and not have this stuff in the back of their minds too.
3: So they didn't actually know you had a kid when they assigned you to the Baghdad gig. (laughs) I mean, it's not quite Baghdad, but I tried to bring my kid to a hurricane I was covering for them, (laughs) because she was staying with me in Florida for the summer, and I hadn't really worked out (laughs) childcare.
1: So you're just and I
3: had to go to Mobile, Alabama, and we got to the uh, we landed in Alabama, and and my boss at the time, a guy named David Sweeney, was screaming, "Did you bring a child to a
1: hurricane?" (laughs) Irish. That's really funny. Yeah, he is Irish. That's not just don't a super weird a impression of a guy from Texas. <laughs> bring a child.
3: I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear though that uh, that you know uh, I wasn't the only person uh, making these uh, kind of I don't know. You well, could I mean, say. the
1: word on the street again was like they didn't want to hire people. I've been trying to be a foreign correspondent for ten. Years and then I had a baby, and everybody was like, Oh no, you had a baby? Like, are you kidding? You're trying to get a job. This guy doesn't hire people with kids, especially women. I mean, this was kind of the thing. And uh, so I just kept her a secret. He offers me the job in Baghdad. (laughs) This is maybe the first time I'm talking about this on the record. Anyway, um, uh, uh, he offers me the job, and I'm like, Sure, sure, put the contract in the mail. I sign it. And then I tell him, I'm like, There's something you need to know before I go to Baghdad. I have a baby. And he was like, A what? you're like, like it's a small
3: human yeah usually like, hairless and then he
1: goes where did it come from <laughs> and I actually said from my you know because I was like it came from my you know I mean where babies come from I mean I think he thought like I adopted it or something like I just think he was just so he was like oh, wow from where
2: like, like how
3: uh, by the way we have Kelly her. McEvers here from from still the Embedded true. Podcast and all things considered still true um, So you did a lot of that kind of stuff. You did win a lot of awards. Uh, They were well-deserved. The reporting was was pretty incredible stuff. But now you are one of the hosts of of ATC, and you have, a a lot of the time, a really different kind of job.
2: You work mostly in a
3: studio. You live in Los Angeles. Uh, You interview people like RuPaul. Do you enjoy the different kind of work you're doing now, or do you miss the old... Danger stuff.
1: Um, well, the great news is is that I also have this podcast, right? I, All Things Considered is kind of my side hustle. Uh, so um, I get to do both. Like, I'm, I am I, spend time in the studio, and I get to talk to people like RuPaul, and I get to talk to the former ambassador to Syria when uh, President Trump and his administration decides to launch an airstrike on Syria. Like, that day on All Things Considered, like, you know, I know who to call. I know what the questions are. I know what to talk about. You know, so I can use that experience in that way, in that chair. Um, But yeah, I also have this whole other hat that I wear, and I get to go out into the world and still do the stuff that I like to do. And that's kind of how the podcast came about. It was like, I got back to the States, and everyone said, you know that thing you did? You know, I don't know, wherever you were in like Cameroon or Senegal or whatever it was. I'm like, Syria. They're like, just do that. You should just do that. Do that in America. You know, just do that crazy thing you do and just, like, make radio out of it. And I was like, oh, okay. That sounds like kind of a good idea. So that's, like, how... Embedded. Yeah.
3: Got born. That, mm-hmm. um, let's uh, let's talk about that podcast a little bit. I've listened to a lot of them. Today I happened to listen to the one uh, about this HIV epidemic related to people injecting drugs in Austin, Indiana, which is incredibly powerful. I mean, you end up in a, a drug house with people as they're doing this and it it humanizes them in a way um, and, and just takes you into their world. I mean, it is very much delivering on the promise of being embedded. Right. So I thought that was a really fascinating episode. Are there any others that you are yeah, I mean, particularly t- the, jazzed about? The
1: trope of the show is that we take a story from the news and go deep, right? And so there's like these headlines that go by you all the time. And I'm always like, but what about, you know, this thing? And so we'll pick a story like that and we'll just go into a place and just try to kind of like live it and understand it in a deeper way. So we did the opioid crisis. by And, and, and was that really that, because?
3: Because you saw like a two-minute TV clip of a dude from this town, yeah, talking about totally, and he's sharing. in
1: the top of the piece, in the top yeah. of the episode, the podcast episode. Because we, you know, you see a two-minute clip, and you're just like, but that's not enough. That's like two-dimensional. I want, uh, I want to know stuff. Like I gotta know more. Um, and so yeah, why don't I just go live in this house for a few days? Um, I was
3: actually scared for you. I oh. mean, honestly, I, I, the people sounded like they were dealing with a lot of issues and it didn't seem like they were a threat, but there's people showing up at the house, angry about money owed. I mean, I was like, Kelly, get out of there.
1: Right, no, yeah, it's again, it's the missing, it's the missing part, like I don't, just doesn't It didn't no, occur to you at any point I do in work that with house? A producer. That no, I work with the producer now though, that he doesn't have the missing bones so every once in a while he looks at me and he's like, we gotta go, like what are you doing? Get out of here! Like when I was walking back in the room he looked at me like, what are you doing? I don't, I, I don't know, I spent enough time with these people to know that I didn't feel like it, I was really in danger, I wasn't the focus of that fight when they were fighting over the money you know what I mean? Right. That's a moment where you just kind of sit back and respect what's going on and try to stay out of it, you know. But so other episodes we did, we did. Um, remember that shootout in Waco, Texas? When, at the with Twin the,
3: Peaks at yes. the off-brand Hooters. Yes. Totally. Who can forget?
1: They call it a restaurant. Did you know that's a thing?
3: I I do now because I listen to Embedded.
1: Right. Restaurant. I had no idea. Like that's like a. Th- it's so great. The things you learn. Um. And so that was one of those stories where you're like. I don't know, it's on CNN. It's like, that looks kind of crazy. And I think it was actually somebody at work who was like, "Uh, yeah, that's your kind of story. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. I'll totally go hang out with biker gangs in Texas and see what really happened that day in Waco totally easy right not easy at all it was like really 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 hard to get in with these guys and then i was really interested in the so called surge of migrants you know coming to the the border of the us in 2014 it's still happening again now in fact the numbers are almost as high as they were then people coming from el salvador guatemala in Honduras, and wanted to kind of understand that better, so went to El Salvador to do some reporting on that, and then just, like, ended up in the middle of this, like, crazy moment in the gang war in El Salvador, so we just did, like, I just turned on my tape recorder, and was like, 24 hours in the gang war, go. I mean, this is not a happy podcast, let me just say. It's, uh, it's intense, like, it's an intense podcast.
3: Well, you've done a lot of intense work, but Just obviously talking to you up here and and listening to you in certain interviews you've done when you're at ATC, it's clear that you have a sense of humor, that you are a fun person. You are not just like (laughs) some kind of like one-track mind. So what's something that would be surprising to people? Something about you, something you love that seems Um, very un... Oh, no, Very, very un... I don't know, serious journalist person. Yeah,
1: no. Uh, I surf. You surf? Yeah. I mean, I live in L.A. I live in Venice. I just started surfing. I read That's an I article got.
3: today about the trend of night surfing in Southern California. Wow. And here's what
1: these folks do. That sounds do. like something I would
3: do. They, they go it's out in the problem. middle of the night because there's less people. Right. And they put,
1: put friggin' lights, lights
3: on their board. And then they oh. wonder why the sharks come around.
1: Huh. That sounds good.
3: <laughs> Great. Well, now we know how Kelly McEvers <laughs> dies, everyone. Kelly McEvers, ladies Goodbye. and gentlemen. This is my surprise. Embedded in all things considered. Thank you. All right, Kelly, you are known for your in-depth reporting on All Things Considered, of course, and on the Embedded podcast. Uh, But let's be honest, the federal funding for public radio has never felt less stable. And we might all have to learn how to be a little more commercial in our approach, okay? Oh, dear. So we wanted to help you with this. We want to do a little job training right here on the (laughs) Livewire stage with you. Uh, And so what we've compiled are a number of actual headlines from the Today Show on NBC, these are things that they really said excitedly on the Today Show recently. And
1: you want me to read them? We
3: would like you to read them.
1: Oh my god.
3: Okay. No. Just to you know, we want you to be ready when this is what we all have to do. I can't do okay? it. Right you're ne- now. Kelly, you're never gonna make it <laughs> in the new world of of, uh, of news broadcasting if you can't. Read we can't pull this off. These actual headlines. I've got to be commercially. The, I, viable. We have a little music for you too, so I'm okay, gonna start okay. the music and then I'll cue you.
1: To time any to one of them, or start with number the one. Number one. Okay. Okay. Ready. Here we go. Coming up next, a lovable turkey rescued from a meat farm is the guest of honor at a wedding, and a rescued mini cow is living in paradise with her best friends, dogs. This is Kelly McEvers, NPR News.
3: Very good. That was really good, actually, I have to say. That, that went better than I expected it to, uh, maybe upsettingly so. Uh, let's try another one, okay? These are again. I must stress this: real things they recently said on the Today Show. We did not make this up. We couldn't even conceive of such a world. I'm gonna get All right. fired. Okay, you ready? Yeah. All right, here we go.
1: Coming up next: interested in potentially moving? Then holy cowboy, check out this boot-shaped house for rent. This is Kelly McGovern. I can never get to the end.
3: That was good. That was very good. Okay, let's keep it rolling here. I really think you're kind of getting okay. you're you're getting the gist of this. Okay. All right, here comes another one.
1: Coming up next, we have some important breaking news. Clear Coffee is here to give you a stain-free caffeine fix. This is Kelly McEvers.
2: NPR. I can't finish it ever.
3: Never again. Very. It started strong, but then it kind of petered out there. Let's do the last one here, and you give it your best commercial voiceover. Real thing that was actually said on Today Show recently. This was
1: actually said. This <clears> was actually <throat> said. Here we go. Okay. Coming up next, we'll talk about a doctor who delivered triplets, and then triplets, and then triplets again. And in case you were wondering, yes. There really are millions of tiny, dead bugs in your pillows. This is Kelly McEvers, NPR News. Kelly McEvers, everybody,
3: for All Things Considered and Embedded Podcast. All right, this is Live Wire Radio from PRI. We're coming to you from the Alberta Rose Theater here in Portland, Oregon. And this week our theme is The Lowdown. And we have asked the audience here to uh, submit some uh, audience cards they've filled out. The question we ask them is, what is the juiciest secret you've ever tried to keep? And our announcer, Jason Rouse, has collected some of these up.
5: Quite a few really nice ones, yeah. Um, DJ says, I always knew what gifts I was getting for birthdays or Christmas because I went through the receipts, which my mom kept hidden in a ceramic goose. (laughs) That seems like so much
3: pressure on DJ then to be pretend surprised. I guess the upside is you know what it's going to be. The downside is that you have to really pull out a De Niro-level Oscar-worthy performance, right?
5: (laughs) Exactly. Um, Let's see. Lindsay writes... When we were kids, my sister and I were in Girl Scouts. When it was time to sell the cookies, my mom would make us take turns going door to door. She was selling more cookies than me, so I hid her cookie sheet, and I forgot where I hid it. Ha! We found it three years later when we moved, but to this day, she still doesn't know that I hid it. Wow. She does now.
3: But she did, Lindsay did get her badge for deceitfulness. Yeah. So, I Harder mean, to get
5: than you think. Mo writes, I know someone who just inherited $10 million <gasps> and they don't want anyone to know. Oh,
3: wait a second.
5: Uh. Mo had a secret, a secret he was asked to keep. Mo, I'd like to tell you about supporting Livewire. You know,
3: <laughs> our members are a huge part of how we're able to do the show. Wow, that is seriously dramatic. All right, well, Jason Rouse, thank you very much. Those are some of the juicy secrets that our audience has tried to keep.
5: This week's show is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, an airline with over 800 daily departures to over 100 cities, even to tropical un-Alaskan lands like Costa Rica and Hawaii. And with a name like Alaska, you know their air conditioning will be on point. Alaska Airlines, fly nice.
3: This is Live Wire Radio from PRI. Our theme this week is the lowdown, something our next guest is intimately familiar with here in Portland. Randy Belston is a field supervisor with the City of Portland's Environmental Services Department. What does that mean exactly? It means that Randy and his team work in the sewer system under Portland. In the words of the Portland PR person who set this up, quote, Randy's seen a lot. (laughs) Let's get him out here. Randy Belson, welcome to (laughs) Livewire. Randy, welcome to LiveWire. Hey, thanks for having me. You happen to work in the sewer system, but a lot of you spend a lot of time in school and have done a lot of training to be able to do what you do effectively. That being said, what the hell is it like down there?
4: (laughs) Well, you get down there and you realize that actually it's a a privilege to see the environment of the infrastructure that we all kind of take for granted. That is such Um, an
3: optimistic way to look at it. (laughs)
4: Well, when you've done it, you know, as long as I have, you kind of have to have a good attitude, so... um, Yeah. Right.
3: What is it actually like down there? I think mostly based on the Stephen King movie, It. We know what it looks like when a clown's down there looking at us, but what is it actually like down there?
4: You know, there's a lot of variability depending on the era in which things were constructed. Um, And over time, a lot of those have been relined with concrete or other types of... You know, repairs to keep them going. You know, sewers are supposed to last about 100 years. About a third of Portland sewers are 80. Hold right? it, everybody.
3: <laughs> Let them catch up. Um. <laughs>
4: Job security, right? Right. Yeah.
3: I heard that people ask you if you're going to go fishing when you're down there.
4: Oh, yeah. We hear a lot of that kind of thing. You know, how's the fishing Uh, Do you ever see any alligators down there? Lately, you know, younger folks come up and want to talk about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and things like that.
3: Well, there goes my next three questions. Um, (laughs) Are you, um, at this point, just immune to what it smells like down there sometimes?
4: Yeah, okay, so I supervise a team of about 10 people and we get new people every now and then that you're trying to talk into doing this for the first time, right? (laughs) And I don't lie, but if things are working right, it's kind of like a really clean uh, porta potty thing. It's that's upsetting when that's the best water. case scenario. <laughs> yeah,
3: Randy, I got to be honest with you. But okay, you're saying if everything's well, working, it should. That's kind of the well. It, the that's scent.
4: in the residential neighborhoods and stuff like that. You know, a lot of that water has soap from dishwashers, laundry. It's not just you know this slurry moving through of waste. <laughs> right. There's other I mean, stuff there. in there. Yeah. Right.
3: But the other stuff helps keep it a little bit less gross.
4: Right. It's tolerable. But it, it, there's, there's some environments where we know we have respirators. We have a lot of protective equipment. It's not like we're going down there in our shorts, you know. Right. <laughs> you
3: know. We're talking to Randy Belson. He's uh, with the City of Portland, the Environmental Services Department. He's a field supervisor. Uh, his team uh, maintains and plans out the sewer system under Portland, among other things. Uh, let's talk wet wipes for a moment. Let's. Because... When those things came out, I thought that that was the second coming. <laughs> but then I heard that they are the scourge of city sewer systems.
4: Yeah, they, uh, they don't break down like toilet paper does. In fact, we see a lot of things in the sewer that don't break down, like toilet paper does and, like, how did that get here kind of thing. But, yeah, you know, when we have a chance to talk about this, which, thank you for the opportunity, I needed it. <laughs> um... <clears throat>
3: You know, Randy, this is a safe space.
4: <laughs> feel, it is surprisingly comfortable. Yes. You know, we, we, have, we have outreach and education out there that, you know, if it's something that goes in the, in the trash, don't flush it. And that pretty much means everything but toilet paper probably should not be in the sewer system. So, I mean, um, the,
3: the, the popularity of, of wet wipes right. is, is, is huge at this point. Right. Is there a way for you guys to engineer around that? Because I, I, I think those things are sort of here to stay. At least if I have any say in the matter.
4: Right. Well, we use them too when we're out there going in and out of the sewer, but we don't leave them in the sewer. They go in the trash. So, I mean, if we can do it, you can.
3: All right, fair enough. Um, uh, One last last question. Uh, It's coincidental that we have you on the show this week when this is also the week that the city of Portland has announced that all of the methane that is being recovered from wastewater is going to be essentially captured and used to power city trucks.
4: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah.
3: (laughs) That sounds like an incredibly environmentally effective approach that is going to smell terrible.
4: You know, I, I don't think that'll be the case. You know, we've already started reusing a lot of the methane that burns off. I don't know if folks are familiar with the process, but when you're um, digesting biosolids, methane is an off-gassing thing, and almost tr- every treatment plant I think it's sees. called
3: farting, right?
4: I mean... Yes, in a very engineered way. <laughs> but uh, there was never, you know, historically there wasn't much of a use for it, so it would just be the flame you'd always see outside the treatment plants is that methane just burning off and, you know... CO2 into the atmosphere, and it's, but it's got, it's got a lot of potential. So we've been using it for several years now um, to generate electricity that we actually use to help run the treatment plant. And then we're gonna take the rest of it and uh, turn it into compressed uh, natural gas and convert our truck fleet, I believe it's about 150 trucks that are on diesel fuel to that. So wow, we're, in, that's we're gonna incredible. take it all the way.
3: If you guys ever hit the point where you are running out of methane, I'm happy to just power down a plate of nachos and come over and pitch in.
4: I'll yeah, do we, I- we need guys like you for that. Okay, excellent.
3: Yeah. Happy to serve. Randy right. Belson, ladies and gentlemen, from the City of Portland Environmental Services Department. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. All right, our theme this week is the lowdown, and we asked the audience here at the Alberta Rose Theater uh, what the juiciest secret they ever tried to keep was. And our announcer, Jason Rouse, has a few of those. uh, He's going to share with
5: us now. Anonymous writes, Yep, I really did cheat on that ninth grade science test. Thanks, Mom, for taking down the science teacher on my behalf. Oh! Oh, man! (laughs) Matthew writes... I dated a girl who hated pulpy orange juice. I love high pulp orange juice. I filtered our orange juice for years, and she never knew. I broke up with her because she didn't load the toilet paper correctly. In a fit of rage, I told her the truth about the orange juice, and I will never forget the look of despair in her face. Oh. I think Matthew's got some issues himself. I mean, if you're gonna do that with the toilet paper, I mean, come on.
3: Yeah. I broke up with a gal once because I didn't like the uh, flip-flops that she had. Well, it was two things. She had these flip-flops I really hated. One time I went over to her house. She was a little under the weather, and she was blowing her nose into these tissues and crumpling them up and just tossing them on the side of her bed that was pressed against the wall. Oh. And whenever she would move, a couple of the tissues would fall down between the bed and the wall. And I thought to myself, no one's ever going to clean those up. Wow. We're all sharing here, guys. That's the important thing.
5: (laughs) Paul writes, it would have to be the secret that I was beat up for in sixth grade in the bathroom. Unfortunately, I did not know what the info was that the guy wanted to know. Oh. Yeah. He just kind of took one on credit, I guess. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah. Wow. Okay, those are some juicy secrets that people tried to keep here at the (laughs) Livewire show at the Alberta Rose Theater. All right, our next guest here on LiveWire is one of our nation's finest purveyors of the lowdown when it comes to the crazy S that we all end up living through on a daily basis. Glenn Washington burst onto the public radio scene, and yes, that is a thing that can happen, bursting onto the public radio scene, when he won something called the Public Radio Talent Quest... Not long after that, his show, Snap Judgment, made its debut. It's now a huge hit, thanks to its blend of amazing storytelling, music, and most of all, realness. Please welcome Glenn Washington to LiveWire. Glenn Washington, welcome to LiveWire. It's great to be here. Indeed. All right, I remember uh, back when I heard about this thing called the Public Radio Talent Quest, which was a contest to try to identify a super great talented person to do a public radio show. And I remember thinking, that is the worst possible way to try to identify talent. And then you won it, and you are super talented, and you made Snap Judgment, and it's amazing. So, what the hell do I know? <laughs> Thank
0: you, Luke. I appreciate that. Um, I, I have my own misgivings about that as a as a process. But when I when I heard about the contest, it was like I heard about it the day before from a from a pod, This was early podcasting days, and they're like, uh, there's this contest for people looking for people who are hosty. I didn't know what that was, but they said, okay, send in a clip. And I recorded it and uh, sent it in, and I forgot about it. And about three months later, I got a call saying I was one of ten finalists nationwide. But, you know, my buddy Mark, he's a prankster, so I knew better. And I was like, nice try, yeah. click. <laughs> 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 and they called back saying, who's Mark? Um, and that's kind of how it was on. And um, every week or so, they would give a, a, a challenge, and they would kick someone off this virtual island. And the one I remember was, okay, we're going to give you a word, and you're going to have two minutes to riff on the word. Your word is grace, go. And for a minute there, I was terrified. But then I, when I actually listened to the word grace, I grew up in a fundamentalist, Christian, end of days, apocalyptic Jesus cult. <laughs> the word grace was a Big, fat, wet, slushy softball like I could nail right down the middle, and that's that's kind of how it went. What was
3: your uh, what was your life like at that time before you had gotten into radio? Like, what
0: was your job? What was going on for you? I had, you know, I was uh, running nonprofits, and it was funny actually. It's right before the contest. My mother-in-law, she said, "What is it that you do?" <laughs> And I was like, ah, you know, I got a job. I, you know, you never want your mother-in-law to act to be very aggressive about you having a job. I got a job, don't worry. What is it you do? And I'll try to explain non-profits. No, 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 no. What do you do? Well, I tell the man, what do you do? And I told her, um, I tell stories. She said, oh, oh, you should do more of that then. And she wandered off.
3: Wow. We're talking to Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment right now. Um, Did you pick that storytelling thing up in the church? You might be one of the only people who can actually say that the crazy church you came up in is crazier than the one I came up in. But I came up in one that was a religious commune and didn't celebrate Christmas, all that kind of stuff. Um, You guys took it a step further. You didn't celebrate birthdays. I mean, it was an intense scene, right? It was called the, what was the name of the church you came up in?
0: It's called the Worldwide Church of God. It was uh, founded by this guy, Herbert W. Armstrong, and so I grew up uh, thinking that the world was going to end any minute, which is very destabilizing
3: as a kid, yeah, you're like- and I don't say that, like, sarcastically, like, when I think about the level of anxiety I had when I would go to bed thinking this is probably the night.
0: Right. It's pretty it's stressful. Like, yeah, it's like kids today worried about global warming, um, Wait till the tribulation comes. Yeah, wait till the tribulation. You had the tribulation everything. Yeah, the tribulation. Were you guys
3: pre-trib or post-trib? Were you going to get raptured up before the tribulation or We were going to go to a
0: place of safety in Petra if we made the cut. Right. You got to make the cut first. And um, you had to be ready. I remember at one point, some of the families down the street from us started going to sleep with their shoes on. Just in case Jesus came, and so they could, you know, be ready to run out the house. And uh, we figured that was a pretty good idea. Um, so we started, to, uh, you know, just really—it was all about. It was like any day now, any time, be ready. He comes like a thief in the night. He comes like a thief. You, are, we, we can hang I out. I feel together, you. Man. Yeah. You got you got I this. feel you. If you can take your Bibles out right now, you can yeah. turn to Revelation three, verse ten. Um, but, but
3: <laughs> I find, I think it's interesting too that we both do the jobs that we do now. Some of that has to be rooted in that whole world.
0: It's indeed, now there's, a, there's another person in public media who doesn't want me to reveal her background who is also one of us. Please let it be Terry Gross. It is not Terry Gross. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it is kind of funny, right? Because uh, I, I really do like, Telling stories. I don't want to start anybody's cult, though. I would appreciate it if everyone sent me twenty percent of their income. However, right, that part, that part was right on point. Yeah, that's our funding model for this show too. <laughs> Call it
3: first fruits of your labor. It is tax deductible. Uh, we've got to take a very short break. We have the amazing Glenn Washington from the amazing show Snap Judgment here. This yeah. is Livewire Radio from PRI. Back in a moment. Hey, it's Luke. This week, we'd like to send a special thank you to a couple of members. Of course, I'm talking about Ryan Warner of Olympia, Washington, and Mark and Jenna Shofer of Lake Oswego, Oregon. Thanks, Ryan, Mark, and Jenna. We couldn't do this without you. Welcome back to Live Wire Radio from PRI. My name is Luke Burbank. We are here with Glenn Washington from the radio show Snap Judgment. We're uh, talking about getting the lowdown this week on the show. And it, you grew up originally, if I understand right, in Detroit, but then at some point your family moved to like the middle of nowhere in Michigan. That's right, that's right. What was that like to be an African American family in like rural Michigan? That's not a good idea.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> short answer that was uh, <laughs> terrible. That was tough. Obviously, it's good and bad, but what I really appreciate from that background is. People can tell me the craziest story in the world and I can just nod and say, I hear you. Once you've been as a black person in a white supremacist Jesus cult, (laughs) you really can't judge anybody else. (laughs) So I think actually given our lack of ability to talk to each other today, our lack of ability to reach across an aisle or a table or a community, empathy is, is, is missing. And I, I really want to hope that empathy is actually the cornerstone of Snap.
3: Yeah. Um, do you ever worry that you're going to, like, run out of stories because you're a professional storyteller? Uh, that's a, a fear that I have you know we get up on stage and we talk about what's happened to us maybe in the distant past or maybe in the this week or whatever are you burning through
0: your supply of stories pretty fast hosting snap judgment it is funny actually because probably what is it maybe 200 episodes tell a story every one and the truth of the matter is yes um my the stories where i was hiding in the ditch with a yakuza gunfight going on above and crawling through the through the uh, swamp and trying to go to the, um, the manhole cover. I only have one of those, right, <laughs> stories. You know, it's a good story, but um, I, only got, I only have one of those. What I'm finding, though, is um, that stories that have impact don't necessarily need all those bells and whistles, all that stuff. Last year, one of our top storytellers, a guy by the name of Josh Healy, sure, He's, a, he's an amazing storyteller, just a stunning storyteller. And he told a story, and literally the fact pattern of the story is, I took my nephew to a water park. And you look at the fact pattern, what's the story there? The telling blew me away, destroyed me. And I think that as you know, we get to mature as storytellers, it's trying to find the story in those moments that might you might not necessarily see as, as narrative. It's, it sounds like, not to be too
3: high-minded about it, but it's like anything, whether it's poetry or music or even architecture, when you get to a certain proficiency with it, you actually do less. It's like simpler, it's cleaner, there's less going on, right? Is storytelling the same way?
0: Well, I mean, I think that that's exactly right. How do you get to the core of meaning? All that stuff off, all those things that I thought I had to do when I first started the show, what really impacts people is, honestly, it seems like when you open yourself up, and I know this too, even now, today, as someone who's told hundreds of stories, I often want to recoil from doing that. I I I I don't want anybody to see the real me. That guy who's not as good as I want him to be, who's not as brave, not as nice, not as kind. But the moment I lean into that reality, those are the stories oftentimes that have impact. And it's still
3: hard to do. Well, you're doing a hell of a job, man. Snap Judgment is a great
0: show. Thank you, brother. Glenn Washington. <laughs> <laughs> boop,
2: boop.
3: Our musical guest this hour hails from Philadelphia, PA, and is here in Portland as part of the Sold Out Festival. He's collaborated with Kendrick Lamar, Common, Jay-Z, and a bunch of other folks. His latest album is Firstborn Born Second. Please welcome Bilal to LiveWire.
2: How y'all doing? Because it's not what I remember
3: That is Bilal right here on LiveWire Radio. All right, that's about it for our show. Let's tell you who helped make it all happen. Big thanks to our guests, Kelly McEvers, Glenn Washington, Randy Belston, and Bilal. LiveWire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines and fully... Hotel accommodations generously provided by Provenance Hotels. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Laura Haddon is our producer and editor. Becky Fogle is our associate producer. Jason Rouse is our announcer, everybody. Caitlin Kunkel is our writer for the show. Our house band is A. Walker Spring, Ethan Fox Tucker, and Sam Tucker. Molly Pettit is our technical director. Kyle Woodrow did our house sound and recording. Thanks to Carlson Audio as well as... Nicholas Harris at the Sold Out Music Festival. Our development director is Lauren Masterson. Laura Harden is our marketing director. Tim Harkins is our operations manager. Additional funding provided by the James F. and Marionelle Maller Foundation. Livewire is made possible by support from our members. Special thanks this week to member Andy Shepard of Portland, Oregon. For more information about the show, to listen to our podcast or get our newsletter, hit livewireradio.org. My name is Luke Burbank. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.